For joining us down the security rabbit hole on yet another edition of the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast, I am Reflos, and over there is my good buddy, Mr. James Jardine. Hey, bud, how's it going? I'm trying. I'm trying to think of how we're going to make sure we keep this clean, just from when we started. Of, you know, no dropping bombs around here. You know, so we got to figure out. Yeah, s bombs. No f bombs. Just s bombs. Okay, <laughs> still going PG. And uh, joining us on uh, speaking of uh, dropping s bombs. Joining us uh, on the show, Mr. Paul Cagazzo, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Rob. Good to meet you guys uh, on the show. So yeah, cool. man. Good good to have you. So listen, um, we, we had an interesting email exchange uh, about, uh, about about this topic. I've been, my Twitter thread, uh, Twitter stream, and a lot of LinkedIn has been bombarded recently with stuff on SBOMB software build materials and software supply chain and things related and uh, you had, of course, some perspective on this, which is good because we could use some. And <laughs> as a practitioner, um, you know, somebody that's actually trying to implement uh, software build materials or some something in the software supply chain, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start you off with give us a, a 30 seconds uh, on you know kind of your role and who you are, and then we'll go from there. Okay, sure. So I'm Paul Cayazzo. I'm the uh, CISO of Avertium which is a MSSP MDR that does 24-7 threat detection and monitoring. Um, so when I think about software supply chain, you know, I, I'm thinking about the, the software that we use from our vendors that gets you know, downstream impact to our customers. And it's a real big issue for us. This is a topic that is uh, unfortunately near and dear to my heart at the moment, given all the stuff that you guys have I'm sure seen in the headlines recently. So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. This is me in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> that, always, <laughs> that always springs to mind. I don't know why. Um, if you don't get that movie reference, I'm sorry for that. It's a nineties. Uh, so Paul, let, let's start with this. Um, there's a, a, there's a catastrophic amount of chatter on the topic right now. And I, I think a lot of it either oversimplifies the problem or makes it seem impossible. The truth has to be somewhere between the reality is what we're trying to figure out is as we build software and services, particularly on the delivery side or you know, web web applications, uh, simple websites, all the way to complex uh, multi-tiered products. Mm-hmm. We're trying to figure out what the building blocks are. This is this cannot be metaphorically that much different than somebody who's building a tall building that has to know where the you know all the way down to is the steel, uh, where is it sourced? Uh, is it you know good enough? Is it the right type? Right to put into this building that needs seventeen thousand other things and assurances and standards met. Uh, that said, uh, it seems a little bit more difficult in, so- in the software world, and I and I'm not quite able to explain why. 
Well, I think there's a couple of uh, real significant reasons that that analogy doesn't quite translate as well, because if you're talking about architecture or maybe a thing like an airplane, that you, you have laws that mandate you have to be able to track all the way down that supply chain, it's a, it's a different sort of thing. That documentation exists, whereas with, ah. with software, you know, you know as well as I do that uh, developers don't often document their code base um, and, and very frequently inheriting, you know, whatever problems come from the open source applets that are included in their applications. So it's it's simply just not as well understood because we just don't have, you know, laws that mandate it in, in some cases. James, this is your world. I, I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like there's got to be, you know, there's got to be a way to solve that. That simply that isn't that doesn't. Uh, uh, Paul, I'm not saying this is this is what you said. But what I heard was software people just do a crap job, but so we just can't solve this. Well, I don't, I don't know as though it's that you're doing a crap job. I mean, we have tools that can go in and identify what dependencies your applications are built upon. The question, I think a lot of places are like, one, are we using those tools? Two, we use them from a security perspective. We don't use them from a delivery perspective, right? It is a, like I run a black duck or I run, you know, some of these other tools to identify dependencies, but I'm only doing it to identify known vulnerabilities because OWASP top 10 tells me I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the purpose of running it. So it's a security owned tool, not a engineering owned tool where I say, look, if I'm going to release this, I need to know what's in it. I need to be able to accurately track it, keep an inventory. Of, and if somebody asks me, I can then supply that information but we don't look at it from that aspect, right? So when you think about like your example, and I agree, I don't know, so it's the best analogy with the the sourcing of the metal. But you know, if I go back and look at that, like who's responsible for that, right? I mean, it, the architects are going back and saying, "Hey, I need to find this stuff. I need to do this stuff." It's not some safety board that's coming in and saying, "Hey, I'm going to manage all that for you. You go handle it." And in you know, in the security world, that's what we do. And Yep. You saw it, right? This came out as part of the National Cybersecurity Executive Order, right? Like yep. it's we're painting it as a security thing. It's not. Security it's, is it's, taking the be. outputs, but yeah, you have to have the engineers, you have to have the people building whatever it is that they're building. Like this has to be part of what they just ingrained in what they're doing as part of their deliverables. And that's where we're falling short, I think, on that side. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's huge security impacts and implications, but it's not really security's job to track this stuff, um, or at least, you know, to to do that sort of, you know, the root analysis of what those interdependencies are. The people that are actually developing the code are the ones that are responsible for that, in my opinion. And, you know, the output of that work needs to be our responsibility to interpret, to identify potential risks, and then do something about that. But, you know, until and unless that sort of upstream information feed from the developers, you know, comes to us, it's going to be very difficult for us to do that outside of just doing code analysis like what you mentioned, James. Right. I mean, it's a it's a threat intelligent feed for security. Right. Yeah. You have this deliverable. It's coming in. We consume it. And then whatever we want to do with it, that's fine. If we want to look for known vulnerabilities from CVEs out there, if we want to, you know, send it out to code, whatever we want to do, we can do that. But that should be a requirement coming in from the software side, not a security side. I, I do agree with that too. Yeah. Because so, so the way I like to look at this, the the softwares that we purchase and install in our environment, there's an inherent trust that we're placing in that software because we're installing it. And in many cases, a lot of those applications will run with system level privileges. So we trust them. 
we shouldn't, right? We should be treating our vendors the same as we treat adversaries in that we gather intelligence about what they're doing internally in their environments. We gather intelligence about what their software interdependencies are, and then we make decisions based upon that. And you know that I, I really believe in, if we can OSINT our vendors and understand how well they do security themselves, it's gonna tell us something about how we can implement better security in our own environments based upon the fact that we're inheriting you know, their problems to a, to a great degree. Look, I, I'm very interested in, in as we develop this analogy of this approach that, you know, developers and ultimately uh, the supplier, right, whatever this, because it's, it is a supply chain issue, but the developer, uh, the dev uh, accountability has to have, like software should be documented better, right, in a standardized fashion in, in some sort of uh, bill of materials kind of file that gets included in whatever the hell format is necessary. Um, I think if we standardize that, yes, I know it's difficult. And that means that, you know, um, Microsoft Windows would probably have, you know, a tremendously large uh, bill of materials built. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. I mean, you know, th there's been a couple of really interesting tweets lately uh, from various people that basically say, oh, yeah, there's, you know, security industry sort of gotten into this well, it's really difficult and the bad guy's going to get in anyway, so whatever. And I, I think that's silly, um, I, I th especially as, as it pertains to what we're, what we're talking about, building software, right? It, it, it's, a, it's inexcusable to not publish what is being included in the thing that I'm buying. Like, I don't know why as, as vendors, and this goes back to early 2000s when... Uh, uh, when I was on, you know, your side of the the, the uh, table, Paul, and not as a vendor, as a buyer, not as a vendor, I always thought it was really interesting that you would get a a a, a code build out, right? But you don't get the here's how we here's what we did to make it happen. Here's what's included, you know. The, as you said, the documentation was catastrophically bad. I'm not sure that it's gotten that much better, and, and but there's no. I don't know. It, it's not going to be an enforcement by any government entity or something else. It's going to be enforcement by the buyer. Like, show me what you've got or I'm not buying it. Right. Yeah, I agree. And it's, it's going to have to be imposed by the industry on the industry because certainly it's I, and I mentioned laws earlier. I, I don't necessarily think regulation is the way to solve this problem. If you look at a lot of the open source initiatives that you know, our industry's had, OWASP is a good example. You know, we, we can identify a standard and make it applicable to the community at large. But mm -hmm. it's a network effect kind of thing. Everybody has to buy into it in order for it to be effective. And until right. that happens, I think it's going to be challenging to solve. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, I think a lot of the software vendors also view this information as proprietary, um, intellectual property that is confidential, but they don't want to uh, disclose. Maybe not all of them, but certainly, you know, some of them will, will take that perspective. And, you know, unless their transparency exists, the whole thing's kind of, kind of uh, fall flat. And to your point about the uh, Microsoft Windows, so the problem with that is the volume of data that would be within that interdependency, the network chart on that would be almost ininterpretable. You would not be able to understand what that really means without exhaustive analysis of it. And who's yeah. got to do that? That's, I think, the other aspect of this is like, you know, we've, we've all got other, you know, major problems that we're trying to solve day in and day out. And I don't know that I've got resources on my team to go through analysis well, like that. That, yeah, uh, not... that, was, that was something that came up, though, you know, is that, these are not meant to be human interpretable. Right. I was right. I mean, the whole idea of an SBOM, take any, you can take the smallest application out there that you actually use. 
pull an SBOM on that, you're not going to go through that manual and look at that, right? These are meant to be data lakes mm -hmm. that you can dump all this data in. And now somebody is going to go create analytic tools to be able to then analyze those results and be able to say, this is what we got. Because every, anybody that says, I'm going to look at an SBOM and determine whether you're good at security or not, mm. no way. Yeah. You are not manually looking at an SBOM. Like to look at the dependencies my developers brought in, maybe we have tons of control. Maybe we have the best secure SDLC out there. And you're going to say, oh, well, you don't take security that seriously because your SBOM shows you use this one component. Mm -hmm. That's garbage. That's not happening. But this is something that's going to be, we pull all this information in. Now we have analytics around that to be able to say, okay, what are the key indicators? Maybe there's something. I mean, I know people will swear up and down. We can tell the security of a company by their dependencies. Maybe there's some way we can identify some risk around that. Maybe there's some way that, hey, Log4j just happened. Boom, I can go out to the, all the SBOMs that I have. I can query that thing, mm -hmm. but it's a pretty interface to query it. Nobody's sitting manually looking at one of these because you're not well, going to... I think like, the that's like exists. sitting and looking at IIS logs all day. James, like, the thing exists. We have vulnerability management platforms all over the damn place. Right. Why not just import yet another bunch of data? Like you said, you know, it's it's it, it's data that would be application specific, and then it just links. If if a vulnerability comes out in yet another framework component, you know, remember Struts was having issues, right? Mm -hmm. um, if something like that comes up again. I should be yeah. able to go, oh, here's all the pieces of software in my organization that I have bought or that I've built that have this issue. Sure. Let's isolate them. Let's go. Let's start taking remediate, uh, right. remediations. But, Paul, how do you – I mean, how do you enforce that? I mean, how, how do you even get there? How do you as a buyer go, uh-uh, I need you to provide me this when there's, most vendors have no incentive to do so whatsoever? I mean, it, I think it's the – if there actually is choice in the market where you have the ability to, you know, vote with your dollars, then that will make a difference. But in many cases, you know, you're going to be kind of locked into a particular application or type of application. And I don't know that you're actually going to make the choice to say, I'm not going to buy this or implement this software without you guys providing me X, Y, and Z. I think it's, that's not really realistic in my opinion. I think um, it's, it's just not something I've seen happen. So I think it's going to ultimately, you know, be where we're at. And you mentioned the vulnerability scanning reactive sort of you know, posture assessment type stuff that we can do once there's a major, you know, log4j type event, we can certainly scan systems to see if there are, you know, potentially vulnerable systems out there. But, you know, I don't, I just haven't yet had success in having a vendor provide me sort of a full well, dependency analysis. We also run the difficulty, like the vendor decision is you have to have at least one vendor that's doing it yeah. to right. be able to say, oh, I'm going to go there because they're doing it, <laughs> right? Like until you get that incentive, if they're all like, nah, we're not doing this. Yeah. It's hard to get that push. And, you know, it's interesting to think about, too, like, who's the audience for this? And I posted this, I think, on LinkedIn uh, to somebody else mentioning something about SBOMs. You know, I'm not going to go to my banking site and, like, click the something to be like, oh, I'm going to go look at your SBOM to see if I want to go use your banking site. One, I have to go to your banking site to get the SBOM. So this is not a consumer level situation right this right. is a vendor level and you know like paul's situation where like hey look i'm dealing with this for all my my clients it almost seems like it's even more relevant there than it is on a most clients aren't going to get that level in depth like is this an you know a provider type of thing and that's where we're going to see that push I, I think that's reasonable right i mean certainly our customers expect us to put that sort of diligence into what we're installing in their environment or what we're using to service them 
And, you know, to a degree, certainly we do, right? We test our systems pretty continuously and we're continuously monitoring for, you know, bad activity and things like that. But at the end of the day, there's still, like I said, is that inherent trust in the software vendors that we're purchasing software from to service our customers. And, you know, that to me, again, is one of the root problems here. It's, it sort of flies in the face of the whole zero trust concept because we have to trust the, the software is clean. And, you know, we know now and probably should have known for quite some time that you just simply can't trust that because there's no such thing as a, a software, a piece of software without vulnerabilities. Every piece of software has vulnerabilities. And, you, you know, know you know, I, I've, I've been there since like the early 2000s where I was part of a software security team that would investigate and, and you know, validate uh, web apps for a major, you know, global company that would come all from third-party developers, all from the lowest bid, yeah. none of them ever documented. And sometimes the current update to some piece of software would undo a ton of security controls the other guys previous to them did because it was not it was poorly documented. A new group would go, oh man, all that extra code is making this thing slow. I can fix it and optimize it and remove all security controls. You're like, wait. Um, we could, we were struggling back then. I mean, I, I remember one of the requirements was provide a data flow diagram and a list of includes at the time. Just call them includes, right? What what's what is you know what are you importing? What were your imports? And I, I couldn't get dev teams to be bothered to do DFDs, much less and a bunch of includes. So we started, we would literally go through. Um, we would literally you know, somebody wrote a Perl script that would go through all the files and then like do a, a, a pull out all the includes and, and all the declarations and all the, and then try to stick it into another file, right? There's some, some, a Perl job that would run. That'd be like, all right, here's all the things that are in this. You go, oh, this framework, this, this doesn't look right. And you go, like, oh God, this is vulnerable to something, something, something. They have to fix this. And they're like, no, it's not vulnerable. And then the argument ensues of oh, whether it's vulnerable or not, whether they can use it or not. Um, but that was at a scale that, I mean, today it's it's un, like James, you said, right? It's it's undoable by hand. Mm -hmm. it, it's impossible. We we could do it back then because you know there were four, five, seven, ten includes. Who ten? Now you're like ten, twelve thousand. <laughs> well, and you're not you're not taking account in that include of you're you're like oh yeah, look, I'm I'm pulling in standard I/O, but you're not going into standard I/O and pulling all the includes for standard I/O, right? And that's where like we're getting into these nested pieces. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask the question of what is what do we want this S-bomb for, right? If this is something to try to rate and determine, do I want this software or not? One, do I have anybody on my team that even could analyze an S-bomb to determine that? Or is this going to turn into a security scorecard type of thing where it's like, oh, I just go to this company and they'll rate it. I know, I have the same feeling on it. Uh, they'll rate it. And they'll let me know, yay or nay, based on whatever black magic they have going on in their system. Or is this something I'm actually going to look at? Because to the point of, oh, I want a DFD, I want this. Who's looking at that? Who's actually looking at the code yeah. that that team wrote? Like, oh, I'll look at your dependencies, but I don't need to look at the code to see how shoddy your coding is and how inefficient you are. I just, I just care about your dependencies. Like, I almost wonder where the focus is sometimes on this. Like, I get wanting to know, like, hey, let me know, because at the very least, log4j hits, I know I'm using software that has it. All right, yeah. if, if that's our reasoning, then that's fine, then use it for that. But I don't know as though we've really defined what we want an S-bomb for, 
and I think that's why we're still having difficulty. Never mind the fact that what do we have three different standardized formats to put it out in? Like, let's make it confusing. Mm-hmm. And then how far upstream, you know, how many layers do you go? You know, to your point earlier, we're not, you know, in capturing all the includes of the includes of the includes, you know, what's good enough? You know, what is N layers that we're right for us, you know? <laughs> Man, that, that, that is the question though, is what's, what, where does, pre- realistically, right? It, it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter if you go like, you know, if you don't go all the way down, if it's go all the you know, it's turtles all the way down, if you don't go all the way to the bottom of, of the the very 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 you know basic right, but if you do, it becomes impractical. Well, think think about it though. If you don't go all the way down, I mean, what did we have a couple of years ago? The pad left feature that got yanked from like npm or something like that, right? You're talking about something that every developer should be able to write on their own. It's embedded 40 dependencies deep because you use all these things that use this, that use this, that then calls this pad left, that all of a sudden there's an argument between this and this, and they're like, screw that, pad left's gone. Now, if we don't go all the way down with the S-bomb, do I know I have pad left? I do once I fire up my app and it doesn't work. But, right, so you can't sit there and say, well, how minute is too minute? Because it's either an all or nothing. I mean, you can't just say I'm going three levels deep, but I'm going to ignore the other eight. That's the thing is, is if you, you're right, if you don't, <laughs> from a practical perspective, then where, where you stand on this? Because I mean, that it's impractical. I mean, I think there's no way to get to the, the software singularity that we're talking about here. The, you know, that, that root piece of code that is, you know, the, the bit or byte that is included in everything. I don't think you'll ever get there. I personally, maybe, maybe I'm. A defeatist and uh, don't want to take on the challenge of it. But to me, that seems like a very untenable challenge to try to solve. Yeah. Like I said, like this is understanding what's my goal of this. If I just want to know every place I run Apache, then sure. fine. Like we can stay high level and I don't really care about any dependencies that Apache is running. Of course, until, you know, the struts vulnerability comes out and all of a sudden, you know, I'm Equifax. So, we, I mean, we have to understand what's the purpose that we're trying to do this. Never mind not necessarily packaged software, right? Because that comes out on a much more regularly like scheduled release. But you look at web, like, oh, I'm gonna use that website over there, whatever.com, and I want their S-bomb. They deploy five times a day. So, you know, how am I keeping that updated? And what am I doing with those updates to be able to know that I've got something checking? Like, oh, look, they just pulled in some weird dependency that looks sketchy to me. That's why I say, like, it's not human readable. It's got to be something that automation is taking care of. Somebody's going to build AI around this to be able to look at it and determine, here's the things that we're looking for. Here's how we keep AI. it up to date. Like, it's, I know, I don't want, <laughs> but I mean, some sort of automation. You're fired. <laughs> so I think, to your point, James, it's, to me, it's, it makes more sense, not in the sort of go, no go decisioning, are we going to install this or not? but more how quickly can we react to a problem when it becomes known to the world. So like the log4j thing is a perfect example of this because there are so many people that just struggled to realize or understand where they had points of exposure, where if you had that S-bomb, you'll have a better chance of doing that quickly. And I think so, you know, we don't like to be reactive in security. Of course, we try to be proactive as much as possible. But in this case, that seems like something that would just speed our ability to react to problems when they occur, more so than, you know, prevent yeah. them in the first place. And I think that's fair, though, because... Listen, Heartbleed to me was was the the, the giant 
you know, kick in the head wake up call that it should have been, but it wasn't for our industry apparently. Um, but it, it, what, you know, I kept saying, what is the, why is it that the first thing everybody's doing is firing up a scanner and trying to find, mm -hmm. find all of theirs? Like, why don't we know this already? Why don't we have some sort of asset registry that doesn't suck? Uh, why don't we have data on this? And the answer was, well, it's complicated. I'm like, is it though? I mean, I get it. Um, I, it's not complicated to fire seen... up a scanner, right? Like <laughs> I can fire up a scanner ad hoc and I can find everything in my network, but I can't store that anywhere. <laughs> so that's what I was going to say. How often have you actually seen a comprehensive CMDB or an inventory that really truly represents current reality and environment? Very infrequently in my experience. It's, it's, it's not as simple as you're making it out to be, unfortunately. I wish it were, because that would make, I think, all of our jobs a little bit easier. I just don't think that uh, people put enough attention to that inventory. You don't, and it's the whole, you know, the cliche, you can't secure what you don't know about, but unfortunately, we just, often case, but, don't know what's installed. So. And that's, a, the you know, how long are we talking about application inventory? And who does it? Nobody. Like, it, can we start there? Can we start there and, and work our way down? I mean, I mean, that's the I, thing. Like, we don't even know what high-level applications we're running. Right. Never mind, you know, five thousandth level dependencies that are running inside those things. Like, at least let's just figure out that. But we've been talking about that for like a decade. Yeah, and then keeping it current is the other challenge. You know, because um, that's that's going to change every environment's dynamic. It'll be different tomorrow than it was today. So how much resources are you putting into keeping that up to date? Obviously, it's got to be automated to your point, James, but still, it's not also, you know, it's not trivial. Right. Especially, you know, when you look at cloud environments now where you got stuff that auto scales. So, you know, you had one instance and then all of a sudden you got 5,000 instances and then we're back down to two instances. Like, there's a lot that goes into that. But again, at least high level, we should know what applications we're running. You know, we should know what devices we have. We haven't solved that. And yet, you know, we're trying to like take it to the nth degree. And I think that's where maybe some people like, I think there's defeatist attitudes around, like, we can't do this. Why are we going to be able to do that? I think SBOM, while getting more uh, publicity, is still like, there's not, I haven't seen like good resources actually show me good examples of how to consume this, how to build this. You're mm -hmm. seeing some of these tools that are listing out and saying, hey, look, we can generate your SBOM for you. Like, that's great. But people still don't know what to do with it. They, they, vendors don't know how to ask for it. You know, like nobody really knows how to handle that. I think there's a few instances where people may be doing it, but we still haven't. Like it's, you know, it's still at age like one month old. <laughs> and it's empty. Well, think about this way. Think about it this way. Um, how many of these, um, you know, pick up, pick up your phone and forget Android or iOS underneath. Uh, let's just look at the apps that you install, right? Mm -hmm. How many of them are basically just browsers with a, with a light skin that interact with all the APIs on the back end? Okay, so the developer built the APIs, cool. They're hosted on a cloud uh, provider, which then, James, as you said, auto scales and, and updates its software uh, to be uh, to be presumably more secure, more, you know, whatever latest version, blah, blah, blah. Like, how do you even maintain any of that, uh, right? That that becomes an entirely new army of governance people that would be required. So I think it's pretty clear by now. The, the answer is not more people and it's not manual labor. So what the hell is it? 
Well, you know, to James's point, I do think that uh, automation can solve this. I'm also not um, a huge fan of dropping the AI buzzword, um, yeah. but you, know, you can definitely, I think, do some analytics on those dependencies. And maybe what you know you do is take, you know, what what are the likely scenarios to occur based upon an issue with this specific applet or you know included application or whatever it is that that uh, is there? What could the cascading impact of that be? And do some of that analysis, and that that at least is is sort of a risk oriented approach to um, looking at the data. That could help, but again, I think you know to James's point, we're in infancy, nascent state of this entire you know concept, and until we get kind of the one on one stuff figured out of just understanding what applications we have, you know, it's it's again it's extremely tricky to get uh, to get to where we're, we're we're thinking here. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I mean, I think a lot of it goes into what's the use case behind this, because Raph, to your point, talking about like the mobile. You know, I mean, even like I pick up my iPhone and look at it and all of a sudden I see the little white bar of an app updating. What am I? I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, my God, there's an update. I hope there's a new S-bomb for this. Right? <laughs> it's it's not consumer related. I mean, this is something that's high level. I, almost it feels like that nation state type of thing of like, look, if I'm a federal agency and I want to use software, I want to make sure that I can see the software bill of materials that I'm not getting something that's coming out of this other nation state that could potentially be attacking us. But is it as applicable for, you know, your mainstream organizations, like typical places? I, I don't know. Like, that's why I'm saying we have to understand, like, really what's the purpose of What's the driver for this? Because for the most part, I, I don't know how much you're gaining for the work that we're trying to put in. Not saying we shouldn't do S-bombs. Like, hey, great. Like, let's put a bill of materials out. I'm all for it. But... You know, we're going to get this false sense of security and that, oh, yeah, everybody's got an S-bomb. Do you use it? No. It's like saying I got static analysis running on my software. And it's like, well, when's the last time you checked it? Oh, <laughs> six months ago. Like, we don't do that. You know, but we run it. Check the box. But it's there, by golly. Right. <laughs> I mean, I just think, like, if you're going to talk about analyzing the risk of security of an application you're getting, I'm not looking at dependencies you're pulling in. Like, I'd love to be able to look at your code. Like, let me see how you write that stuff. Like, do your developers, you know, are, are they good developers? Is this architected really poorly? Like, what's really going on in this code versus where'd you get all this supply stuff from? Unless I have some plan to be able to deal with that, to know, hey, they're attacking this type of thing or whatever. We need to understand the use case. All right, Paul, as we run close to time here, give me some practice, something practical, because... I felt like I feel like we've not delivered a whole lot of practical advice here, other than bemoaning the difficulty of actually doing something that's theoretically really important, practically really really difficult uh, on the on, on the implementation and on the benefit side. Uh, what's your practical takes takeaways here? So I think that you know the, the most important thing we can be doing with respect to this is just simply scanning our environments as, as much as possible, very very frequently, and understanding what you know applications we have and what vulnerabilities might exist. Uh, and maintaining that uh, so that if something does happen, if there is you know major newsworthy event like Log4j or Heartbleed or anything like that, we know what to do, where to go to fix it as quickly as possible. That's solvable. That's something that every organization should be doing already. It's just basic hygiene and definitely a step in the right direction on this. So I'd, I'd start there, and that's you know nothing that is terribly complicated or rocket science. Yeah, yeah I think. Was yeah, I think there. to add to that because um, I think that's awesome is like if you are like in your position, right? Somebody that's actually saying, hey, look, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna request an S-bomb from somebody. Mm -hmm. Like understand why you're doing that. Like, what are you gonna do with it? Uh, understand your purpose for wanting it outside of just saying, oh, I'm gonna pick this vendor versus that vendor because you provide an S-bomb. 
You know, like actually understand that. Like if you're looking for it, think about how you're going to actually consume that data. What are you going to do with that data to, to make that purposeful? Uh, because when we start doing that and share that out with other people, like if you're thinking about using S-bombs, share with it. Like, how are you going to use that? What are you doing with it? So they can do that. So we can build that narrative of what we actually want to do with it. Because when we build that, I think that will push and drive for this to actually start being implemented more commonly. So yeah. what, we're, what we're saying is have a goal before you start on your journey. Start with the end in mind. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that feels Rapid. monumental. Raph, it reminds me years ago we were at that conference and we were talking to the insurance guy, you know, and he was like, yeah, we collect all this data. We don't know what we're going to do with it. They just like collect it and sometime down the road we can make money with it. I remember it, that conversation. I feel yeah. like we're at that stage right now. We're like, collect it and then we'll figure out what we want to do with it. Like, someday we're going to figure out what to do with this, but I just want it. I just want that. <laughs> There's got, there, ha, there have to be better answers. And, and we're going to do, um, you guys that are listening, we're going to do another couple of episodes on this from – um, uh, and Moyle's going to join us. He wrote a great article on this. Uh, uh, it was titled, I have it right in front of me here on, on Tech Target. Uh, it was the four software sec- uh, supply chain security best practices. Well, you know, a lot of interesting stuff in that, James. I don't know if you've seen the article, but it, it basically is a, is a tear apart of the, the crisis that became Log4J's uh, you know, issues. And looking at sort of the the problem that we we've kind of you know we've addressed a little bit we've brought up a little bit but it's not as simple as give me your dependencies like there are there are multiple places to do this software you build software you buy software somebody else uses on your en- environment or you know Paul you and I both work for uh, essentially MSSPs in, in some regard um, we're using software to deliver services to our customers right <laughs> so should they be asking us to ask somebody else who's going to ask somebody else who's going to like how far who's account, who's accountable like there's so much pro, so much uh so much that's problematic here uh, i feel like we're we're we've got a, such a long way to go and uh yeah and this, again just go go look at now your twitter feeds guys and, and look at uh, Bomb and look at who's talking about it and all the things that they're saying and you quickly realize that we don't have a, we don't even have like we're like we're thinking solutions aren't too far away. We haven't even identified the problem, the proper problem yet. I think is is where to start. I it, this is a good thing though for like service providers because if they can get a handle on this and they can understand how to do it and do all that stuff, that is a selling point to cost potential sure. customers. That hey, look, you don't have to worry about all this stuff. We handle all of that at least for this section of what you have. We're gonna cover that. Like, don't worry about this, you know, but I also think that's the downside is that when you start getting a small group that actually is interested in it, the rest of the people like "Ah, that, like that is so low on my list of priorities. You know what I mean? Like, I've got all kinds of issues that I'm trying to work through. You want me to generate something like, well, do you remember, do you remember the conversation we had with Kim on salsa? SLA? Like this is, this is a odd follow up sort of. Where that wasn't specific to security SBON necessarily, it, it that's that I think is the precursor conversation, right? How do you do a supply chain um, maturity model, basically, artifacts? right? I mean, that's what yeah. that's what Salsa had. It was like some. It was I don't know if they called it a maturity model, but I mean, it was like a maturity model. Like, are you a level mm-hmm. one? Are you a level two? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? And I mean, I said 
10 years ago. We should have been doing that with the SDLC. Stop calling it secure SDLC. Just call it an SDLC. And if you want to sit there and rate it, I'm a level one. I do these things. I'm a level two. I do these things. That's fine. Sure. Right. But it's understanding like, <clears throat> that's building some sort of maturity that that's building a framework around it. Whereas this is a pinpointed yeah. part of one of those frameworks. Right. So okay. if Salsa wants to include S-bombs in it as as a piece of evidence, then that's it. But it's just a piece of it. It's not, you know, like it's not a big framework that people are looking to do. And what are people looking to implement? They're looking to implement frameworks They're looking to implement. I want to do this whole thing. It's hard to pinpoint and say, let me take this time and stop and do this. And then what's my what's my return on that? Like if yeah. I spend all this time implementing it, how many clients or vendors are actually going to submit it? And then if I get that submission, what am I really doing with it? Now what? You know, it, and now what's really, well, I think you also raise a really interesting point or good point in that maturity is kind of at the core of this. And so I can tell you the, the very few times we've been asked for anything like this by customers, we do get asked, like, who are our critical vendors? Um, and, you know, which vendors do we interact with? And, and so customers are thinking about third party and fourth party risk, but they're not thinking this far down you know, the, the layers of complexity. And it's, it, I would yeah. think it's a very mature organization is thinking along those lines. And I'll tell you, until we get, you know, a critical mass of requests like that, very unlikely we'll invest the time to, you know, put effort towards it either. Yeah, I mean, think yeah. about it, you know, when you, w to take it to that level, right? I could give you an SBOM. I could be a small little library developer where it's just me. <laughs> I have no capabilities to respond to anything. I think somebody posted this complaining about, uh, somebody pushing out to one of these guys saying, hey, look, there's an issue in your software. You need you have 24 hours to resolve this. And it's like, look, this is an open source library. Like, <laughs> yeah, stick it. But, you know, just because I provide an SBOM says nothing about my software development process. I could be one people. I could be 500 people, 10,000 people. You know, I could have security testing some of my stuff. I could have no security in any of my stuff. But here's my SBOM of dependency. You know, so... Again, I wrap that back to we have to understand what we're trying to like. What is your yeah. goal with this? Well, Paul and, and James, to your point a little bit, Paul, I, I feel like we have to be careful not to be the dog that caught the car um, because we. I, I know how security functions. I've been in it long enough. At some point, somebody's going to do some sort of heavy-handed something that's going to require a bill of materials uh, in software, and then it's going to be okay. Great, we're doing it. I want to see what you're going to do with this now because now the ownership is on you and us security professionals are going to stare at this and go, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right? So, so what now? Yeah. I wonder if there's an argument to be made that this is significant enough an issue to rise the level of national security and maybe somebody like CISA should be maintaining a universal uh, SBOM. If that's well, even possible. You know, what's interesting wow. too, Raph, when you were talking about that, it just, it popped in my mind. I'm thinking about like the security industry as a whole, like all of a sudden we're like, all right, we're going to start, you know, transparency. You can know what's in my stuff. Talk about the debates that will go on. Like, I can't believe you're using that Bcrypt library. You should use this Bcrypt library. And like, what a crap storm that's going to produce when everybody starts flaming everybody for what they're using. You should use it. I can't believe you're using this. You should use that. Like, it opens up a huge can of worms, right? I know everybody argues that, oh, if it's transparent, people know what to hack it with. No, I, we can figure that stuff out anyway. Now it opens up like, oh, man, I see you're using that component. You're an idiot. Like, <laughs> this is what we live in. 
Like, imagine we've got this thing wide open. Like, why they pick this? People are going to start guessing at architectures. They're going to start guessing at this. And it's going to become an all-out info war to just destroy each other. And people are going to be like, fine. I'm not going to do anything. Right? I, I mean... That's all right. Thanks, James. That's that. That pretty much. Uh, yeah, that that was. That's a great way to end it, Paul. Uh, I, I think we should stop there before we go ahead and just torch this entire thing. Um, what a great conversation that was uh, here on the podcast. We don't just like solving problems. We like to go ahead and burn the farm as we're walking out the door. That's what we do here, kids. All right. Well, Paul, thanks for being on the show, man. Lots of uh, lots of thanks for the input. Lots of um, good discussion uh and, and certainly i think we've if we've done nothing else on this show we've ident we've thoroughly talked about the issue and tried to get to the root of what we're trying to solve and real and and folks i think what we've discovered is we need to figure out what in the heck we're trying to solve before we put so much effort into solving it ind- independently of each other is that fair guys i completely agree yeah, yeah. Uh, we just identified the complexity of the issue more than anything else all right. Well, Paul Cazzo, thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us, James. Uh, thanks for your insights. See, I like I like getting you on. I get like you. I've got a software background, so I like getting you and fired up on these things because man, <laughs> I love I love winding you up and watching you go. It's kind of fun. We got a little passion there for it. I love I love these type of topics because it, for me, it's it's much more about curiosity. I'm not an S bomb expert or anything like that, but I'm curious about these type of things because. If we're going to implement them, we have to be asking this. Don't just tell me to implement it. I got way too much on my plate. Like, let's mm. talk about If we think it's great, let's figure out how to make it great. Yeah. You know, and it, it, but a lot of people won't ask a lot of questions. So, hey, let's talk about it. Let's come up with these weird scenarios. I think the last one was a little far-fetched. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. Challenge accepted. I look, I, I, yeah, I, I think the this is one of those multi. I think I feel like security tends to do the fire uh, aim ready um, a lot, and there there are times where that is worse than others. This might be one of those yeah. times where if it's not carefully thought out, the disaster that comes after this is worse than the problem we're well, trying to solve. And listen, so. that that last rant I went on about the info war. There is a positive side to that. There's a positive side in the fact that if you are a client and you use a vendor of any sort, something like Log4J comes out, you don't have to blindly hit everybody you use and say, what are you doing about this? You can go in and you can say, hey, I know X, Y, and Z use this. I'll just target them and I'll leave everybody else alone. So there's a golden lining in there. There is. There there is a bit of a silver lining. You're right. All right. (laughs) That's enough of that. Thanks, folks, for listening. We could probably keep talking for the next hour, but you you got probably things to do. And uh, Paul, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate you having uh, some taking some time and joining us. James, thanks again, uh, folks uh, that got a chance to listen to our YouTube live stream. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, hit that uh, subscribe button. Uh, smash that like button. Give us a comment if you will, if you if you have something to say. Um, if you haven't uh, getting gotten a chance and just listening to this as a podcast. Uh, yes, we do have a LinkedIn page. Uh, yes, we do have a YouTube page. We stream to, uh, we stream to sometimes one or the other or both, depending on the episode. And uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a good time as always. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll do more S bomb related things in the next couple of episodes. If you've got an opinion, make it known. Hashtag DTSR on Twitter at DTSR underscore podcast as well to follow us. Catch us on LinkedIn. Catch us on YouTube. We'll see you another time, another place on another down the security rabbit hole podcast. Bye-bye, everybody.
As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. <laughs>